This week's episode of Mind Theater is a video essay. For the full experience of the show, click the first link in the show notes. Thanks. It's not often that cinema is truly capable of making me experience physical sensations. The separation between what I see on the big screen and how it makes me feel is all too obvious in most works anyways, but not in Wong Kar Wai's work. It's intoxicating, really, the kind of cinema that grabs hold of our senses, breaking down our defenses in an effort to allow us the experience of true euphoria. With a heightened lens that emphasizes visual aesthetic beauty, his melancholic narratives beneath the surface are rendered stunningly. This dueling effect of beauty serving as a veneer for the pain his protagonists experience helps in exposing both the physical and mental anguish of his characters, a kind of anguish that through film's empathic properties can't help but become our own. I think this quote from him encapsulates this cinematic power perfectly. As Wong states, cinema can be the citric scent of a peeled orange, the touch of warm skin through a silk stocking, or simply a darkened space bathed in anticipation. With very few words, Wong captures the full breadth and extent of his own cinematic prowess, and what he aims to achieve through complete and utter authority over our senses. A process as appreciators of aesthetic beauty and romantic agony, themes ever present in Wong's work, we're more than happy to indulge in. Using this quote as a guideline, we can break down his own cinematic abilities into three distinct tiers of sensory control. From his immediate outward style, steeped in nostalgic experiences and personal history, to the levels of warmth and intimacy that register within his character narratives, to his relationship with time and waiting, placing his audiences at the seat of maximum emotional charge. For this exercise, I can think of no better film to study than his magnum opus, In the Mood for Love, a desperate, dizzying tale that's as alluring as it is heartbreaking. Wong's flair for the striking is at the core of In the Mood for Love's visual design. It's a film world consumed by bold colors, hues of red and green that invade everything, from the homely apartment and workplace interiors to the restaurants and neon lights darting through dark, curving alleys and streets. Every frame is a sight to behold, a kind of visual spectacle made possible through Wong's collaborative efforts with co-cinematographers Christopher Doyle and Mark Lee Ping Bing. Their combined efforts helped reproduce the dreamlike atmosphere of 60s Hong Kong, clouded in cigarette smoke, bespoke rainy downpours, and dimly lit streetlights. It's the perfect fashion show for the intricate patterns of Maggie Chung's chunksum dresses, popularized by Chinese socialites and high society women of the period, as well as the slicked black hair and sharp suits of Tony Lung. It's a Hong Kong that's never looked better, but does it betray history and even Wong's own memories? Inspired after scouting locations in Bangkok in the late 90s, he came across architectural sites that recalled the 60s Hong Kong of his childhood, places that didn't really exist anymore back in Hong Kong itself. What we witness in In the Mood for Love is a Hong Kong made new again, stylized in a signature idealized lighting and staging the way one might recall a memory. The intense chiaroscuro in many scenes is used to great effect, our lovers blanketed in shadow, else the city itself would make their flirtations with infidelity known to all. It's a kind of dark beauty that's overwhelming. 
Just like the scent of citrus, it's an overpowering experience. So overpowering, in fact, it's a scent we can recall without even actually smelling it. It's like Wong is channeling directly into my olfactory system. On the topic of food, it's no surprise this movie was originally all about food. Conceptualized as part one in a three-part series titled Story About Food, In the Mood for Love was originally only supposed to be 30 minutes long. Some sly scenes here or there in a restaurant or two, a vignette as part of a larger whole. After witnessing Tony and Maggie bring this scene to life, pondering which of their spouses must have made the first move. He entirely forgot about the other two planned stories. In the finished film, the importance of food isn't shied away from. Some of the most emotionally charged scenes happen in restaurants, around dinner tables, in alleys after late-night noodle runs. For Wong, imbuing his films with this kind of personal nostalgia gives them a kind of familiar quality, making intimacy even more possible. His cinema of citrus is one whose beautiful merit, as immediately recognizable as it is, tastes sweeter than even appearances would suggest. Peeling back the layers reveals a kind of character passion we can fully relate to. Like the touch of warm skin through a silk stocking, Wong's cinema is one that doesn't so much create intimacy as it seeks to redefine it. We see this in his close-quarters guerrilla-style filmmaking, a holdover from his early days writing Hong Kong gangster movies, no doubt. In a story about lovers as disparate as these ones, with no recourse or person to console in or confide in, save themselves, his close-ups feel even more personal. Without a single frame featuring the two lead spouses, his close-ups of Maggie and Tony reinforce the fact that they're the only ones who matter. Their scenes are so filled to the brim with intimacy, there's barely enough room for the camera itself. Instead, Wong chooses to steal glances at our lovers through window panes, across dimly lit streetlights, and through glass. We experience their relationship the way a voyeur might. It's beauty framed to perfection. Coming back to the quote, the touch of warm skin through silk reveals something crucial about this arrangement as a viewer. It speaks to a comfort and warmth, but one that isn't entirely direct. There's a thin layer of artificiality between what we feel and what actually is, which speaks volumes to cinema as a medium of implied comfort and connection. In cinema, the attachment we feel to characters is always an illusion. We understand this. Yet we continually exercise the ability to feel for characters that aren't even real, like a touch triggered by a phantom limb that isn't there. I think this reveals a profound level of empathy we have for intimacy, even as it stretches through the bounds of infidelity. In the absence of spouses, we are immediately thrust between two dogmas of our lead's character relationship. They can't, and they must. Never before have two warring beliefs been rendered so crystal clear in film. Wong's camera is one that allows him to find peace between these tenets of discourse. His use of slow motion and blur effects feels like a summation of losing one's senses. We experience the same intoxication that they do, losing control over one's body, succumbing to a love and later heartbreak that despite our best efforts, reveals itself to be all but inevitable. This is further anchored by the instantly recognizable Yumeji's theme, a musical piece that the modern romantic drama feels practically born out of, used interstitially throughout the film like he's conjuring a love spell. While the touch of skin through silk may be a false feeling, Wong's cinema is one that doesn't make us stop and gawk at this falsity, but it's one that pushes us further and deeper through it, towards removing that veil, as we desperately search and seek for the same intimacy his characters experience leading us to 
a darkened space bathed in anticipation, the interplay of the forces Wong conjures up in his narratives, his quiet, longing protagonists sitting still within both their love and their grief simultaneously. Wong's not just concerned about his lovers, but the space that exists between his lovers, the air around them. Separate from even the physical sensations described in a citrus scent that recalls memories or the touch of warm skin through compounding facades, anticipation is a variable that encapsulates the feeling of desire better than either of them. Once we're seduced in by the immediate, outward, visual language of Wong's style, then we feel the warmth and comfort of intimately knowing his protagonist, he pushes us to the very edge. We wait for release, for finality, but Wong refuses us this. He forces us to sit within both their spontaneous love and encroaching sadness. It's here we're reminded that a space shrouded in darkness is one filled with possibilities. To await what will come rushing forth out of that darkness is to give yourself up to the artist, to the process of transformation, one that begins with a glance, a moment of reverie for that which is profoundly beautiful. In Wong's moody, colorful, intimate films, we find that we're just as powerless as his characters are. Seduced in by beauty but forced to sit and internalize his character's pain, what we're left to experience is a narrative that's both heartfelt and harrowing at the same time, a synthesis of what the best slow burn cinema is capable of fully capturing and what its audiences truly and utterly yearn for. Nicole Kidman said it best, somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Mind Theater is a solo effort produced and written by me, Ao Akinbade. For updates on the show, as well as my other content, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to show monetary support, the Patreon link is in the description. Thanks for watching. I'll catch you next time. Wait, 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 wait. Sink.